begin reading in verse 1, if you would follow along in your Bible. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking, and God said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, as we gather here today, we do thank you for the liberty that we enjoy, that we can meet openly and read your word, study your word, fellowship with other believers. And we thank you for the liberty that we enjoy in this country. And Lord, even as we do We do lift the country of Brazil up. We pray that you would truly manifest your power. We know the king's hearts are in your hand, and you turn them whithersoever you desire. And, Lord, at the same time, you've asked us to pray for those that rule over us. And we, as brothers and sisters with the fellow believers in Brazil, ask that you would have mercy on that land, even as our land. And, Lord, that you would truly um, direct there. We know you will be glorified, whatever the outcome. And so we thank you for that. 
Now, Lord, we come and ask that you would free us from distractions. I ask that you truly would do the speaking and the ministering, and in particular, minister in each of our hearts today. You alone know what we need. And so we come to you with anticipation and thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage that we read today is a very familiar one in the sense of verse 7. The Lord said that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And in that passage, he says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. And it's illustrated all throughout this passage. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul? In other words, he's saying, Quit quit crying over Saul. He's not fit to be the king. I'm going to raise up another king. Samuel was seeing things a little different than the Lord was seeing. God said, I want you to go and take your oil with you to Jesse, and I want you to go and anoint. And Samuel said, Again, Samuel didn't quite see it the way God saw it. And Samuel said, well, how can I go? If Saul hears about this, he'll kill me. And then God told him, take a sacrifice with you. Go make a sacrifice. And, and then all the way through, I'm, on, I'm here to anoint a king. And here comes Eliab and There, no question about it. There is the king. And God said, no, that's, that's not the one I want. Well, surely this one. And all the way down until, as we read, finally David came. And God said, this is the one that I want to anoint as king. So, Samuel, a man of God, a prophet of God, had several instances that God had to correct his vision, so to speak. He wasn't seeing the way God said. He said, that's enough mourning. Get up. Quit mourning. We're going to go anoint a king. I can't do it. I'll provide the way. This is the one. No, that's not the one. And eventually this is the one. Many, many, many times in our lives, God has to correct our vision because we're not seeing things the way God sees things. And on Wednesday night, we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Ecclesiastes shows that we struggle with frustration and dissatisfaction and unhappiness Because we're living life not the way God intended. We're not seeing life from God's perspective. And we have been, the last several Sundays, dealing with our worldview, how we view the world. And a Christian worldview is all-encompassing. It's comprehensive. It is, it is important that we have a biblical worldview so that we see reality. You know, 
many times we believe lies in our life. And we're not seeing things as they really are. We believe the lies that pain and suffering are always bad. We believe the lie, the world is rigged against me, or I have a right to be angry when things don't go my way, or I can't help how I react to certain people or circumstances. We could go on and on and do a whole series on lies that we believe. But we believe those lies because we're, we're not looking through a biblical worldview. We're not seeing things as God sees things. And this is foundational to Christianity. Christianity is not made up of attending a church service and then just going and living your life. Christianity affects every area of our life. Every, everything, it's, it's the glasses we put on to see everything in life and everything at home, everything in, in all of my life. Christianity gives the framework for interpreting science and politics, and economics, and arts, and education, and ethics, and everything. But today, I want to specifically call attention to areas that we need to examine and see, how does God see this? Is this really how I'm seeing this in my life? And the first area is our own heart. God says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we do not understand the dangers that lie within us to lead us to evil, to produce evil, that it comes out of our own heart, we will, we will be forever in the wrong in our viewpoints. Honestly, you can talk a lot about politics, but much of it, in a meeting yesterday, we talked about this. The greatest difference between conservatives and progressives is how they view the human heart. Our founding fathers knew that the human heart is prone to, to evil and abuse of power, and they put checks. Progressives view that the human heart, if you just put it in the right environment, it will bloom, it will prosper, it will be good. No, the human heart, my heart, is evil and deceitful and desperately wicked. And and there is no telling the evil that can come out of my own heart. And And we must understand this so that we take precautions that we bring things into check. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Thankfully, 
Remember, our human heart is this because our worldview that we've gone over the last two Sundays, which the big picture is, first of all, this section, creation. All right, okay, we're going to try to creation, the fall. Okay, this is where... This comes into play because of the fall of man in sin. We're all born with a corrupted nature. And because of the fall, God created and gave man the choice and man chose and the fall. And because of the fall, we have all sinned. But creation, fall, and redemption. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son He sent His Son to redeem us back from the fall. And in the redemption, He restores us restoration. Okay, sorry, I didn't give you a chance to say it, all right? So it's, here we go, creation. That's the big picture. That's the, in, in the most simplistic form, that's the message of the Bible. So in the fall, our heart is evil and deceitful and desperately wicked. But thank God there is the redemption. And notice, we don't, we can't take a lot of time on this, but notice 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. He has listed all kinds of evil works. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified by, in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, but when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I have been washed. I have been set apart unto God, and I am justified in Jesus Christ. I have a new nature. I still have the old flesh, and that's where there's the battle between the flesh and the spirit, and these are contrary, the one to the other. And that's why he says, walk in the spirit, that you would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we have to understand From the baby that we bring home, as cute as they look, their heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and it needs redemption. And once we've come to know Christ as Savior, we don't need to carry around the guilt of our sin. We are justified. We are sanctified. Such were some of you. That is the old life. But we need to learn To see our heart from God's perspective. Secondly, we need to learn to see our design from God's perspective. There are, there are many people that have never accepted God's design in their life. From just the basic design in our life, physically, the the hair that you have, the color of eyes, your physical stature, your physical strength or weakness, or what family you were born into, 
You didn't choose the family you were born into, did you? And some of you have have held that against God all your life. We were reminded in the parenting class, you, you don't choose the family you're born into, and you don't choose the kids you're given either. You know, there's some kids that some of their, every kid, there's certain per- things about them that might rub you the wrong way. Are you going to accept God's design for that, or are you going to go against it? Accepting God's design in your intellect, in your siblings. We could go on and on. There's ten unchangeable things that you can't, you can't, you can't change when you were born. There's all these things, but there are people that go through life and they're bitter about things in their life that they've never seen it from God's perspective. And they've never, they're, they're upset about it. God, why did you allow this in my life? They, they've never accepted God's design. Thirdly, my purpose. Our purpose in life. We only recognize the meaning and purpose of our life through our relationship with God, who created us as image bearers to live for his glory in this world. The problem is the world that we're in is not how God created it to be. It's corrupt and filled with frustration and futility. And we are often sucked into this, and rather than spreading the glory of God, we live in rebellion against Him, living selfishly. I'm living to make me happy. I'm living to make me a name, living to make me money, or whatever else it is. The book of Ecclesiastes provides us a honest and realistic a realistic view of life without God in this sinful world and what it produces. We are to live for something bigger than ourselves. And that's God. And when we view life from from the purpose that God has a purpose for me, and I'm living for something bigger than myself, it changes how you see everything else. We are to live to the praise of His glory over and over again. Ephesians 1, 12. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And again, each of these we could spend much more time on. But do you see? What what do you see as your purpose of life? Do you see it? And how you see your purpose will affect this next one. How do you see your growth? Hardships are real. Life is difficult, make no mistake about it. But they have a higher purpose for us. God uses things like that to purify us. To help us to grow. He prunes us. He trims off branches that are not going to be fruitful so that it can, the tree can produce more fruit. 
So do we look at life and say, okay, God, what, what are you trying to teach me through this? What growth are you trying to produce in this? How are you trying to use this? Rather than getting bitter, allow life to produce growth in you. God, there's something that you're wanting to teach me through this. Help me to know it and to grow as a result of it. Rather than a man-centered view, why did this happen to me and, and I don't understand this. God, what is it you're trying to produce in my life? Number five, my life message. In, in each life, and it varies, but there are some bad, difficult, complex things that come into our lives that God says, I'm going to take those and I am going to create a message that will minister to other people and show the grace of God. I want to raise you up as a trophy of my grace, God says. And so he puts some things into our life that we wouldn't have chosen. Some of them we did choose in our foolishness. But all these things that come into our life, and rather than looking back over our life and say, "Ah, oh, what an idiot I was, or why did this come into my life? You come and you lay it on the altar before God and you say, God, here's my life. I want you to use any and all of this for your glory, for a message to minister in other people's lives. And when you do that, it is amazing how God opens doors. Similar experiences that you've had, you will be able to speak from the comfort with which God has comforted you, and you'll be able to minister to others. But he's waiting because we don't see it. Why did this come? I wish my life was like so-and-so. I don't understand why this. I wish this would have happened. And we're not seeing things from God's perspective. God said, I am making a unique, special message in your life that can minister to many people. If you'll submit it to me, if you'll see it from my perspective, our life message, he wants to make us a emblem, a work of his grace that can bless others. Number six, how do you see other people? Do we value the differences in others? You know, most of us are the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. Most of us value the likenesses in other people and despise the differences. One of the things I've been learning over the last few years is to value the differences. Because you know what? They can contribute things that I can't contribute. And I can learn things from them that I never would have seen before. And how we see other people 
thank God everybody isn't exactly like me. I thought that would get an amen. And thank, what if everybody in the world was exactly like you? Some of you are arrogant enough that you'd say the world would be a better place. If we were exactly like all one person, apart from Jesus Christ, we would miss all that God designed. God created all these differences. And, and we don't see people the way God sees people. Not only in the differences do we see their hearts the way God sees them. Every person on the face of the earth. You, you may have seen some things in the news and you may have said, Oh, that, uh, that person makes me so mad. Every person on the face of the earth, God loves them as much as he loves you. Every person, God created them to have fellowship with him. How do we view others? How do we view people? And, and see, in viewing people, if we have a biblical worldview, he says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on these things, bowels of mercy. In other words, mercy ought to just come flowing out of us. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long-suffering. Oh, these people, they just drive me nuts. Long-suffering. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Those waiters and waitresses that work at restaurants have said notoriously that Sunday after church is the worst crowd they get in their restaurants. They're the most gripey, they're the most stingy, don't tip. As James said, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. We're not seeing people the way God sees people. A Christian worldview will affect how we respond in a restaurant, it will affect how we drive, it will affect everything about us. I'm I'm just like you, you know, people pull out in front of you and you think, you saw I was coming. But God's teaching me, have I never pulled out in front of anyone? Yes, I have. Can I have mercy on them? Maybe they didn't see me. Is life all about me? You know what? And And starting to see things from that perspective. I can't say I always do, but I'm, I'm trying to see things from God's perspective. It's made life much more enjoyable. I mean, grabbing the wheel, you know, and speeding up a little bit so you get on their tail and let them know, you know, you've been there. Don't act like pastor. And that brings peace, doesn't it? That brings joy. 
That teaches the kids in the back seat a lot, doesn't it? It teaches them we're no different than the world. That's how the world acts. And we're not seeing things from God's perspective. But to be patient and loving and merciful and long-suffering and forgiving and kind, that's how we minister in the lives of others. When we see things from God's perspective, which is wisdom, we will learn to live for an audience of one. We'll learn to say, you know what, it really doesn't matter what people think. I'm living for him. I'm not, I'm not saying you disregard other people, because I've just said we ought to. But you know what? When everything comes down to the end, I am going to answer to one being, and that is God. And when we learn to see life from God's perspective, it's not doing things to impress someone else. It's not being pressured into these things. It's saying, I am living for one. And that goes back to our purpose. My purpose is to glorify God. I am here for one, and that is God. And if me following God bothers you, oh well. And that ought to be... If if how I've followed God, maybe I've done it in a self-centered way or selfish way or short-tempered way, then that needs to be addressed. But, you know, there is so much, it makes life so much easier when you just live for him. It is easier to please God than it is anyone else. And when we see through God's eyes and have a biblical worldview, we understand that God is in control. Biblical example of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. I'm not going to retell it. But Joseph was able to say, Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. How could he say that? Because he was looking through God's eyes. He had every reason to be angry and bitter all his life at what his brothers had done to him and and what those fellow prisoners had done to him and forgotten and so on and so forth. Do we really believe that God is in control? Jim Berg gave a list of ten timeless truths about God. And, and really, if we, if we believe these, it will affect how we live. He will always meet my genuine needs, always. He will always forgive my sins, always. He is always up to something good in my life, always. He will always love me personally, always. He will always give me the grace I need, always. He is always in control of all things, Always. He is always present with me. Always. He is always the same. Always. He is always trustworthy. Always. He is always wise in what he does. Always. We printed those off. There's some of them on the back table there. That will help us to see life from from God's perspective. There comes sudden upheaval of life. And you think, what is going on? And you need to put on your biblical worldview glasses and say, God, help me to see it the way you do. 
I believe you're in control. I know you are in control. And so, God, I am resting in you. The songwriter says, when through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, rest in the fact that the Lord God is our supply. And we must come back and and. And see from God's perspective, we're, we're so prone, we're, we're naturally just bent to see it from our perspective or others' perspective, to see it from God's perspective. Okay, God, what is it you're, you're teaching me? God, what is it you want me to respond in this? What growth are you seeking to produce in this? There is no accident. In the Christian's life, God's at work in every detail, and he's taking all of it, and he wants to make a life message, and and he wants you to just put your life up there and say, God, I've messed it up. Would you make something for your glory out of this life? And maybe maybe you've submitted a lot of things, but maybe there's one thing that's happened in your life that you say, man, I I just... I don't see why God brought that into my life or this or that. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. That's seeing life from God's perspective. And when we give him and yield to him our all, God delights in raising up a life message that we never could have put together to show his glory. Heavenly Father, you alone know your plan and purpose for these truths today. And Lord, if it's up to just the feeble words of this human vessel, it won't go far We are dependent on the working of your Spirit. So, Lord, would you make it personal in each life here today? I pray for individuals here today that have never received a new heart, never been to the redemption stage of the big picture, never have had their sins forgiven are not able to say such were some of you, but you have been washed, set apart, and justified. Lord, I pray today that they would call upon you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray today before they leave that they would mention it to someone here and and we could show them the truth of your word to know that their sins are forgiven. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of us here today as children of you. Lord, would you show us where we're not seeing things from your perspective? And would you find in us a willing heart to put on your viewpoint, to obey the promptings of your spirit, And to be able to see the events of life, our own heart, our own growth, our life message 
the things maybe that we don't even understand, but that we're willing to say, God, I'm laying it on the altar before you. And then, Lord, to know that you will work for your glory. So I know that it's hard for us to yield spirit, and may we submit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.